Uh, you can turn to your Bibles. Y'all, we're actually not going to start in 1 Peter. We're going to study it tonight, but we're starting in Matthew chapter 26. And after that, we're going to Hebrews, and then we're going to get to 1 Peter. All right, so Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. That's Jesus in the garden. And he knew what was coming his way and what he was walking into that night and the next day. Now I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 5 through 7. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that saith unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had prayed, offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard of him that in that he feared. So though he learnt, he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And there is a mystery there that Jesus was always God. He's the eternal son. When he came to this earth, he came for a specific purpose, to be the savior of the world. He came for the cross. He came and lived to die on the cross. And the Bible says that in the garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was arrested, that he began to be very sorrowful, heavy. And that word means grieved. He was very grieved. Now I want you to turn to your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. You know, it's amazing. I know I've said it that the ladies are studying James on Tuesday nights. And especially in the first couple of James, there's a lot of similarities to 1 Peter. And, you know, you'll probably pick up on some of those. Last week we talked about uh, God who's, who's able to, the, in, the uh, incorruptible inheritance that we have as believers, right? And that we're kept by the power of God through faith. That God keeps us. Tonight I want you to read verses 6 and 7 with me. And this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We're talking about trials for the Lord. We're talking about suffering for His name's sake. And it's all in light of the rapture of the church. That is what is spoken of when it says in verse 7 that it might be found to the praise and glory of God and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That is the great, the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That is the rapture. And that is what that is speaking of. And so any trials we go through in this life having the backdrop, the glory that's going to come behind it. The, the glory that's going to follow. Everything, we talk about it all the time. Moses refused to be the call, called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We see it over and over and over. Strangers and pilgrims, right? Passing through this world. It's not our home. Um, Paul said we're treated like the offscourging of the world. We're mocked, we're ridiculed. And it's worth it, because in the backdrop of it all, by faith, we know that there's something coming that's worth it, that's behind it all. And the reason I open up with Jesus in the garden is because behind the garden, okay, 
and uh, uh, say passed the garden that night, sweating drops of blood in agony. It says he was very sorrowful. It says he was very heavy. Uh, all that was going to follow in the next uh, little over 24, uh, under 24 hours that was going to take place, behind that was going to be a resurrection. Mm -hmm. And behind that, he was going to be returned to the glory that he had with his father before he uh, humbled himself and became a man on the earth. And behind that was going to be redemption of, uh, uh, or the, the glorification of the body of Christ. People being born again and born into the kingdom of God and coming into the body of Christ. And so it was only through the darkness of the garden that he could pass upward into the glory of the resurrection. There had to be the garden first. That's God's way. And there has to be the, the, the trial and the suffering and the uh, the sicknesses and the weaknesses and the, the broken heart and all these kind of things that come into our lives as believers, that's going to put that in perspective or in light of the glory that's coming. And we have to remember that. That's something by faith. We go to the Word of God, and just like the passage we read from 1 Peter, that is to stir us up. God wants us to latch on to it. He wants us to hold on to these truths and not just focus on our trials. When the Bible talks about manifold temptations, okay, uh, specifically, same in the book of James that y'all have studied, the ladies, it's equivalent here to a trial of your faith. Temptation uh, is not just a temptation to sin. When it's used in, a, in a, this type of context, it has to do with the trial of your faith or testing. Okay, I say it all the time. Those that have played sports, for example, uh, when you're playing sports and you're early in the season, especially trying to get in shape for the season is probably the hardest time of all. And you, you seriously think the coach wants to kill you because it's so hard. It's pushing you beyond not just what's comfortable, but way beyond what's comfortable. And you, you have the idea, if you didn't know better, if you knew nothing, you just say, this guy's trying to kill me. He literally wants to kill me. But he's not trying to kill you. He's trying to get you in shape for what's coming. And he knows how to do it. Certainly the Lord knows how to do it. Amen? And so when we're going through trials, these are not temptations to sin. Because the Bible tells us very clearly in James that the Lord uh, is not tempted to do evil, neither tempts he any man to do evil. Tips any man with sin. He's not dangling or enticing. Never, never on the history of the planet has God enticed someone like Satan does to try to entice them for the purpose of them sinning. I want them to sin. So I'm going to dangle this in front of them to make it so appealing and so alluring to them that they're going to fall into it. God tests our faith. And he may let us go through a darkness. And he may let us go through a trial. And he may let us go through a valley. He may let us go through times of loneliness or sickness or confusion where we feel like we're just wandering and really don't know what to do with our lives. All these things, the Lord may let us go through those things, but never, ever, ever is His purpose for you and I to sin. It is not, the Bible tells us, say it again, God is not tempted, neither tempts He any man. Okay? And so, we know that. And the motive of God's testing is goodness. There's a benevolence to it. There's a kindness to it. We're going to probably just stick on these two verses all night long tonight. Okay? 
And, and uh, the Bible says manifold trials. These saints that Peter was writing to, remember they're scattered abroad. They were Christians, probably mostly Jewish, but not necessarily all Jewish. But they were scattered abroad, and they were saints. And I'm just going to maybe characterize them a little bit. Buffeted for doing well. Reviled and suffering. Exposed to railing. Evil spoken of. Tried in a fiery trial. Partakers of Christ's suffering. Reproach for the name of Christ. And the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. So when he's judging us, it's not because he doesn't love us. He's judging and he starts right with his own people. That's who he's going to start with. You would start with your own children too if you're going to discipline them and correct them and want their improvement and want them to be better. They need to be corrected. They need to be strengthened. They need to be taught. They need to be instructed. They need to knock them down a little peg if they're getting a little lifted up in pride, whatever it may be. You're going to start with your own children. That's the way it should be. Judgment begins, the Bible says, in the house of God. And so these were believers that were being buffeted for their well-doing. They were being tried, not necessarily because of gross sin in their life, but they were being tried for their faith. They were being tested for their faith. And so, uh, you know, we're going to get into this more in chapter 4 when it says, if any of you suffer as a Christian, let him rejoice and so forth. We're going to get into that more. But basically, what does it mean to suffer as a Christian? It means that we, you might lose your business. It, might, it means that you might uh, lose your reputation. You might be kicked out of your home, out of your country. You might be in prison. You might be deserted by family members, right? Parents, children, loved ones, brothers and sisters. You ever hear of that happening for Christ's sake? It does happen, right? You lose friends for Christ's sake? We do. Being misrepresented by others, being hated by others, persecuted even to death in some, some instances. New converts um, became in this day the target of every kind of cruel hatred and weapon that could be hurled at them. I remember, and this is years ago, I don't know how many years ago, uh, I'm going to pick a number, 10 or 15 years ago maybe, there was, and I don't have to say his name, uh, there was a NBA, there was a coach of the NBA team, and he, I remember it, it's not a big story to most people, I just remember because I'm a Christian and I knew what was going on. This, this team has not been a very successful team, but this particular coach was a Christian. This team started doing very well. The team started going to the playoffs. They started going like to deep in the playoffs, like the finals and that kind of thing. And this, this coach uh, invited his players to some Christian men's conference. It was a big thing in the country at the time. He got fired. This was 10 or 15 years ago. We don't want this kind of thing on our team. The team has not done well since. Never come even close to that success. But here was a man... He was a Christian, and he invited them to come. There is persecution. There is suffering for Christ. Guess what? He's never worked in the NBA again. There's a lot of lousy coaches that have not done really well in that profession with their records and so forth, and their playoff records not nearly what his was. And yet he's never worked again in the NBA. And uh, it's not that we feel sorry for him. It's the fact that it's real. There is a cost to following the Lord. And uh, there's generally three sources, I would say, that 
of our trials that we go through. We can be tried by our, our, our uh, by others, like this man would have been. Okay, others bringing something into your life, persecution of some kind. We have trials from our own sin. You know what I mean? We have afflictions and consequences from our own sin because there are consequences to it. Even though we're Christians, we've sinned, and because we sin. We can quickly be forgiven. The sin's put away. Okay, like David in the Bible. Nathan said, you're the man. David said, I've sinned. God's already forgiven. You're not going to die. Nevertheless, because he'd done this and given a great uh, brought great reproach to the name of Christ, there's going to be some consequences for it. He knew it was from the Lord, okay? But still, there are consequences and trials because of our own sin, right? We've all experienced it. We do something wrong. We act like a jerk to somebody we shouldn't, and we... We're caught, and then we're embarrassed for acting that way, and uh, you know there's consequences to it. And then also, thirdly, from the trial, those those tri I mean, from the Lord, those trials that would be just directly from God. Job is such a good example of that. Job is one who feared God and shunned evil, perfect and upright. That's what it says. We know he's a sinner. Every every human being is born with the nature of Adam, except Jesus, right? And his sin. So we know he was a sinner, but he feared God. He shunned evil. God called him upright and righteous, like he would have spoken of Abel or Enoch or Abraham or these others. And he was a godly man and a God-fearing man. And he wasn't living like the world around him. He was living for God. He knew God and feared God and walked with God. And all that evil, he would say, began to befall his life. All the trials. Instantly. Major trials, right? All his children died. All his cattle taken, all his sheep, all his camels, uh, one after the other. And, and he's just sitting there, his health, God takes his, uh, allows the devil to take his health from him. These trials were, were certainly just directly a testing of the Lord. They weren't other people persecuting him, and they weren't uh, as a result of his sin. Not that he was sinless. These trials were not a result of sin. We know that from the Bible, Okay. And so that's why all his friends, so-called friends that came to counsel him and comfort him, really rebuked him, and they were wrong. Every one of them was basically saying, you're the reason for this, Job. You must have some hidden secret sin in your life. You're a hypocrite. And that was not the case. Not that he was sinless. It's just that he was not being tried. This trial was not because of his sins. Okay? He didn't have open sin. Uh, he was a sinner like every man, but he feared God and walked with the Lord. And so... It's important that we understand that Abraham, the Bible says it came to pass after that that the Lord did tempt Abraham. Abraham. And he's looking at Abraham and said, Behold, here I am. I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering to me. Right? Yep. came to pass after this that the Lord did tempt Abraham, or tried him. He tested him. He wasn't inducing him or enticing him to sin. He was testing his faith because at the end of that, he said, now I know, now I know that you fear me and you haven't withheld your only son from me. And surely I'm going to bless you. And he, he reinstates the covenant that he'd already made with him. And, and so it's a test. And we need to understand the difference in those three. We need to understand which trial we're going through. How do we do that? We go to the Lord in prayer, and we go to His Word. If you're going through a trial, we have to be honest. We might know right off the bat what it is. We have to pray about it. We know. Okay? 
But if we don't know, it's important that we find out, Lord, am I going through this because I'm stubborn? Am I covetousness? Am I, am I covetous and I want, I'm out of work, for example, because uh, money's too important to me. You understand what I'm saying? And you're teaching me to be content. You're teaching me. Am I, uh, is this a result of sin? I don't treat my wife right. And then I put on a happy face when I'm around everybody else and smile. And the Lord's dealing with me at that, about that. What is the source? Or is this just God? I'm closer to God than I've ever been. I'm walking with the Lord more joyfully and uprightly in obedience to God and His Word as best I can tell. I'm really living with God and for God. He's working in me. He's, and then all of a sudden I'll go through this trial. We need to know what it is. We need to go to the Lord in prayer and find out. I can say that the Lord helps us in all of, all of them, but it is important to know. If I'm in sin, I need to repent. Right? I need to confess it to God and repent, and I need to be strengthened in that flaw or that deficiency in my character to where it's not a repeated sin over and over again. Help me. You're right. I'm covetous. Money is way too important to me. Forgive me, God. And help me to be more giving with my money and give away even until it hurts and see the blessings of God upon my life financially. I'm just making up examples. But... Um, we, we need to know. It's important that we understand what we're going through and why we're going through it, okay? Uh, it's possible, y'all, in the darkest trial of your life to still rejoice. So if we're looking back at 1 Peter, it says, Wherefore you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. So you're rejoicing right now, and right now for a season they were in heaviness, through manifold temptations. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible to be going through heavy or grievous trials and at the same time rejoice? It doesn't just say that uh, as a Christian that you've learned uh, to endure the trial. We do need to endure the trial. But this is more than that, isn't it? It's more than enduring the trial. It's more than even choosing... God's will, not my will, but thy will be done. If this is what you want from me, Lord, I'll accept it. We need to do those things. And it's more than even to just trust the Lord through the trial. What the, what the Holy Spirit is saying here is that we're to rejoice in the trial. We don't rejoice because of it. In other words, we're not just thankful necessarily that I found out I had cancer, but I can rejoice in the midst of it. Because I know my God is good. My Heavenly Father is with me. He's not ever going to leave me nor forsake me. He has a purpose in it. He's not being cruel. He's going to bring me through. So yes, I, cho I choose His will instead of mine. Yes, I trust Him in the midst of my trials. Yes, I will endure the trial by His grace. All right? But He wants even beyond that for us to rejoice in the trial. And the Lord is able to do that. And only Him. And basically the, the joy comes in knowing the nature of the trial. And the nature in the sense that my God is doing this for my benefit. He's doing it for my benefit. If you just go out and get persecuted by the world, the world is not doing it for your benefit. Because there's a God in this world, Satan. He wants to take that lifelong coach's job from him and make a spectacle of him and just wreck his world. And the world 
doesn't put up any fight or fuss about it. I don't remember any big argument about it. You know what I'm saying? So the world doesn't have your best in mind, but God does. So I can go through heavy trials, uh, severe trials, not only trusting in the Lord, but rejoicing because God has a, an ultimate purpose in this, and, and I'm going to trust Him, and I'm going to rejoice. He's got it. And the trial is compared to fire, right? Right now what it says? That the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold, verse 7, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. We see that all through the Bible. We see the testings of God as being uh, compared to a trial by fire. And it, it's, uh, it brings suffering, but yet it's, it's bringing uh, refining. God's purpose is in, in trying and testing your faith. And that's what's being tested, by the way. Our faith is being tested. The Lord said to Peter, He said, Peter, Satan, we know the Scripture, Satan is desired to have you, Simon, Simon, that he may sift you as wheat. But I'm praying for you. I prayed for you, and I'm praying for you. And when your faith, that your faith fail not. That was his specific prayer. That your faith fail not. And so that is what's being tested. And that word, and I've talked about it before in other sermons, that word when it says that Satan wants to sift you as wheat, it means to riddle you with holes. Okay, now I picture a machine gun shooting up a, a Jeep or, you know, some kind of, some, something, just shooting up a house or whatever, just riddling it with holes to where it crumbles and falls. That's Satan's purpose in coming against your life. But that's not God's purpose. He's the Lord when He allows it. He's testing our faith. It's not a fire to destroy. It's a fire to refine. And there's a difference. Right? It's a fire to destroy or a fire to refine. And the Lord's fire is a fire to refine. And so uh, I want you, if you would, turn with me. Keep your spot there in 1 Peter and turn to Malachi. Look at verse 3, Malachi 3.3. 3. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. It's a good, good scripture there. It's, made, it's given a real good picture. He's going to sit by the fire. The refiner sits by the refiner's fire, right? The refiner of gold or silver, he's going to sit there by the fire and watch it that it's the right temperature, and it's not too hot, it's not too cold, that the, the, what's in the fire doesn't stay any longer than it needs to. He's going to stay right there and watch. He's watching over it. And, the, and the, what's going through the fire is crying out with strong cries and tears because it hurts and it's painful, right? But the Lord's watching. He's, right, he's watching the whole thing. He sees it. He's not left you. He's not left me. He has a purpose in it just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer in that refining fire. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Trust me. Just a little bit longer in that fire because it's going to be beautiful when it comes out of there. Your faith's going to be tried. It's never going to go back to what it was before. And God takes us from glory to glory. And when he brings us through a trial, and he said, Lord, I, I went through this, I went through this, but I've never been anything like through anything like this. And that's how I felt in, in you know in the last year of what was going on. I've been through this and this and this and had cancer that you healed me of, and, but I've never been any, through anything like this. This is this is too much. 
And yet, guess what? God brings us through. He still brings us through, but He's bringing us through. And He doesn't let us stand there any longer than we need to. And we're crying out, Lord, get me out of here. Lord, get me out of here. And the refiner is watching. He's saying, just a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer, you need to stay there. And that's what it says in Malachi. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, that was a priest, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. They had to do a, a morally cleansing work in their lives to make them the priests that would rightly represent him and offer the right sacrifices and offerings to the Lord. And we need to let, let the Lord do that. We need to allow the Lord to do that. And we need to understand that the Lord is there. He's sitting as the refiner by the fire. He doesn't say, okay, you go in this little closet over here in misery and darkness and confusion and a trial that you don't know what's going on. I'll be way over here and check back on you in a week. See how you're doing. It's not some concentration camp, okay? Or where they throw Jeremiah in the dungeon and they eat the bread of affliction and he's sinking in the mire. And if they hadn't come and got him, he would have, he would have drowned in the mire. It would literally lift him up out of there. God's very attentive. He's watching. The refiner is watching the refiner's fire. And it's very important that we know that other bring joy, joy to our hearts. He loves us. He cares for us. And he's watching over us. And so uh, he, he knows the point up to where we're to be, to be tested. Uh, the point to where it's needed and that it's not needed anymore. We don't know that. All of us would jump out a lot quicker than we should if it was up to us, right? We'd jump right out. Like I said, the coach is trying to kill me. Coach, that's too much. And he's going to say, no, five more of these. You know what I'm saying? Well, I would have quit five ago. And he says five more. But he knows, right? And the coach may or may not know. But you know what I'm saying. If he's a good coach. But the Lord certainly knows what he's doing. And so he's not going to leave any longer. He has his wisdom. He knows what's going on. And uh, nothing is going to come against your life more than what God wants it to. Didn't we see that with Job? Even though he had, he had to get permission to Satan to come. And Satan's going to be there as well. Satan's going to be, but his, he's going to try to get you to deny the Lord. He's going to try to get you to deny the faith. He has a whole different motive. He's going to stick his head in and pop in with little seeds of doubt. He's going to fire his fiery darts, right? You know what the Bible says? That's why we have all the helmet of salvation whereby we're able to quench all the fiery darts of Satan. So God is just solely God is putting you through a trial. He's with you. He's got a purpose in it. He wants to purify your faith and strengthen it and refine it as gold. Satan sees what's going on. He wants to get you in the midst of that trial, trial to, see, to say, see, God doesn't love you. Callie's blessing Damon and Katie, and, and, and look what's happening to you over here. God doesn't love you. Or what's the purpose of serving God? You're, walking, you're, you're serving God more than anybody you know. Even to your own hurt, you're serving God privately. You're serving God publicly. You're blessing your enemies. You're praying for your enemies. You're doing everything that's right. And look what God let happen to you. That's Satan wanting to do that. That is not the Lord. He is fire a fiery dark. And we need to be like Job and said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Satan, I'm not saying that 
that Job's wife was demon-possessed, but at that moment, that I believe that was the, the devil speaking through her, like he did through Peter. You know, and the Lord had to rebuke Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. When she said, uh, why don't you just curse God and die? You know that's not coming from the Lord. All right? And that, that was, that's where the devil's present as well in your trial. He has a different motive. Don't listen to him. Okay? You tell him, get thee behind me, Satan, and I'm not going to listen to you. You're a liar. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will maintain my integrity before the Lord. And we need to understand that. Um, in every furnace, the Son of God is there. When the three Hebrew boys were in the fire, literally, for not for doing evil, there again, they weren't being punished because uh, they had done something wrong. They were being tested by God, persecuted by the world, okay? But the Lord let them be tested in this way. And in the fire of affliction that they were in, there was one like the Son of Man. He was there with them in the fire. And we need to understand that. He's, he's right there. And what is he doing? He's comforting our hearts. He's saying, I still love you. It's okay. This, is gonna, this too shall pass. It's going to end. Keep your eyes on me. He, he's bringing scriptures to our mind, his living word, to comfort our hearts as an anchor for our soul to hang on to. You know, he's reminding us of other trials that he's brought us through. That he's blessed us. We... You can, all of us, if we took the time right now, I could ask you and say, is there a trial in your life? Maybe even recently you, saw, you thought you were just like almost panicked. You were almost desperate or afraid and said, I just don't know. Maybe you're confused. You have a decision to make or whatever. All of us could say, yeah. At that moment, all you could see was like blackness. But now it's over and you kind of forget about it. And you go on along your way. <laughs> the Lord will bring to remembrance in the trial while you're in the trial of affliction, like David about to go face Goliath, he says, I remember one time a bear came and took one of the sheep. And, and God gave me the strength and I went out and I, with my bare hands and I killed that bear and I brought the sheep back alive. And then there's another time a lion came, took one of the sheep. And I went out and killed the lion and brought back the sheep alive. This guy's going to be no more, he's bigger than either of those two, but he's not going to be anything more than those. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so, the Lord in the fire, He's with us. And He's bringing to remembrance. Remember how I brought you through that? Yes, Lord, you sure did. You sure did. I remember that night that was going on. I, I thought I was going to die, literally. I didn't think I was going to make it through it. I didn't know what to do. I was about to have a heart attack. And you brought me through it. And it's over. And you showed me what to do. And I'm on this side of the trial and I'm looking back now when He's bringing me through another one. He says, and I'm not going to leave you through this one either. There are people that go through trials and they'll say, when they're through, they'll say, I never felt so close to the Lord as when I was in that fire. There's a reason He lets us go through those fires. Because a lot of times on the mountaintops, we don't feel as close to Him. We don't feel His presence as near as when all of our friends have forsaken us for Christ's sake or for something like that. And but the Lord, nevertheless, the Lord stood by me this night. Paul said on that ship, you know, when it was, the storm was raging all around. I never felt so near the Lord as I do right now. And the Lord brought, brings us through it. But what is, how long is he leaving us in? What's the, the time frame? 
but the time frame is not in a number of days or whatever. Uh, it is till the Lord gets the results from our lives and from the faith that he wants. Do y'all remember, this was years ago, you might have heard Clinton share this, I remember it. He was in India one time on a mission trip. And as they had a little free time or going down the street, there was a, uh, there was a man who was melting silver. He says, you bring him a little silver coins, necklace, whatever, you bring him, uh, he'll melt it down right there in front of you, and then he can make a little medallion or something out of it. You can take your silver, melt it down, make what you want out of it, some little trinket, okay? And people would do it, and they'd give him this, this silver, and Clendenin pulled some coins out or whatever and said, why don't you make something out of this? And, um, and he, he, while he was doing it, he would look at it and then do it. He's melting it in a little pan. It's just a small thing. And Clinton said, well, how, how long do you do it? How long do you have to keep it in the fire? He says, till I can see my reflection in it. That's an awesome example. So how long, long does the Lord leave us in the fire of affliction? The ultimate purpose is Christ is being formed in us, right? We're being conformed to the image of His Son. Till I can see my Son, a good reflection. That's how long. Do y'all think we have any part to play in that? I do. I do in the sense that, that I can yield to the Lord quicker. I can stop fighting Him, kicking against the pricks, okay? And yield to the Lord more quickly. I can say, Lord, help me to yield to you. Help me to trust you. I can, the light bulb can come on a little sooner, maybe in the next trial, than it did in the last trial, and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to accuse you of being cruel or kind or unloving or abandoning me. Yeah, I see what you're doing, Lord. This is a growth step. I choose to look at what's beyond it. You know, that something good is going to pop up out of this thing. And grow up out of this thing. And so, Lord, I want to yield to you and to your work in my life. Now for a season. See, it's not forever. Now for a season. And then how happy we'd be if we quickly learned to just yield to the Lord. It's, it's a light affliction, Paul says. It's but for a moment. Well, he went through some pretty long afflictions. But he calls them light afflictions. And he calls them but for a moment. But when you were months here, you know, in prison or you were beat and left for dead outside of the city, you know, a lot of things happen. Stoned and left for dead outside the city. A lot of things happen. I wouldn't call those light. I wouldn't call them but for a moment. But he would. Why? Because he's comparing them to eternity. Comparing to the glory that's going to come, the, the bigness and the glory that's going to come, how wonderful it's going to be, and how eternal it is compared to that affliction. Would you do it again, Paul? Yes, I'd do it a hundred times again. I'd do it a thousand times again. Now, if you ask him right now, you see what I'm saying? Seated in, uh, up there around the throne of God, worshiping the Lord. And so, uh, our trial has a purpose. And if needs be, it says, and in, in, in First Peter, if need be, you're going through this trial for a little, for this short time. And so God knows, y'all. It's, it's intended to reveal our hearts to us and to strengthen our faith. Maybe we're not all we think we are. I guarantee you we're not. And I'll start with me. We're not 
It's not that we're not Christians, and it's not that we're not mature Christians and maturing Christians. It's we're probably not what we think we are. And we're probably not all we think we are in Christ. But the Lord knows. He'll put us through a trial to show us we're not all that we thought we were. And we're a little disappointed and downcast. That, Man, I, I thought I was way further along than this. And when we get downcast, then the Lord will quickly say, but cheer up, I'm going to bring you where you need to be. And this is my means of doing it. Just let me do it. Trust me. And so God's working in us. He's working in us. And we need to keep yield to him and yielding to him and be patient. I just want to read this scripture. You don't have to turn there. We're, we're going to be closing here. In Numbers 31, if you're just taking notes, verse 23, everything that may abide the fire, he shall make it go through the fire, and it shall be clean. Everything that may abide the fire, he shall make it go through the fire, it shall be clean. And so that's the Lord's way, again, of purifying. He's using the trials of life and the furnace of affliction. I've tried thee with the furnace of affliction, the Lord says, that when it comes through, it might be found into the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And y'all, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be more than worth it. All I can say is we know that by faith. All I can say is that we have the promises of God that tells us that. And we've seen others in Hebrews 11 that we read about that the world's not worthy of. They consider themselves strangers and pilgrims who uh, saw the promises afar off and embraced them and were persuaded of them. And because they embraced those promises, they forsook the pleasures of this world. They chose, they made a very conscious choice. It's not want both, it's one or the other. I want that. In order for me to get from here to there, my Savior has chosen me to walk this path. And in walking this path, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never put on you more than you can bear. I'll uphold you by my right, mighty right arm. I'll comfort you in all your afflictions, all the promises of God. I'm going to get you from here to there. But the only way there is this way. You're not going to go some other way. You're not going to have the best of this world and eat, drink, and be merry and be the most popular person in the world with no persecution and have that over there. So we need to decide who you're going to serve. Joshua says, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And it's working for us. Those trials are working for us an eternal weight of glory. He's bringing us to something. And it's going to be wonderful. It's more than worth it. Uh, now they do it. You know the scripture in 1 Corinthians 9 to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I just want to read this scripture as well, Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall, which shall be revealed in us. And I'll just close with this thought. You know, the trials can harden people. They can harden people. Some people do uh, get hard against the Lord, and their heart gets hard and callous because they just hurt and they, in the midst of their hurt, they didn't see God. They were looking for it. They didn't lay hold on God. They didn't latch hold on God. All they did was get hurt. Uh, you know, their children died when they were young. And a parent was bereaved of their children. They lose their children or something. They just get hard against God. Uh, you've heard it said before, the same sun or the same fire 
that will soften wax and melt it. It'll harden brick and make it hard. Take a lump of wet clay and set it out in the sun. It's going to get hard and make brick out of it. That same heat that's beating on that, you put a candle out there, it's going to melt it. It depends on how we yield to the Lord. And it's a question of faith and trusting God. And I just want to encourage myself and this body here tonight that when we go through trials, and we will, not maybe, you absolutely will. You might be in one now. You're not through with them. You'll have others in your life. It's not because God's being cruel. He's bringing us from here to there. He's bringing us from there to there. He's bringing us all the way. And He wants us to trust Him. And it does show how much God values faith in a human being, in a man, in one of His children that's already born again by faith. It's important to Him. He wants to work to strengthen our faith. He wants that faith to be refined. That faith to be purified. Where we're not doubting, believing, doubting, believing, but we're trusting. And trusting the Lord with our whole heart. We know that we're not fully there. We're not where we were five years ago either, are we? I pray that everybody in this room is farther along in Jesus than you were a year ago or five years ago. And I think we ought to be able to say, without boasting, I am farther along in Jesus. But in being far, farther along in Jesus, I'm not where I was. But I also, one of the things I see is that i got so much further to go. He's also shown me I'm not nearly where I should be or could be or where he's wanting me to be. And so I just want to close with that. Turn with me. All right, we're going to read one more scripture. You can come on up. You can come on up. Turn to Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3. You're going to recognize this when you start reading it. All right, 3, verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be on the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon my high places. And so... He's not saying when everything's great, I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. He, he gave you the description of what the, the land was like and what, what was going on. And he says, yet I'm going to rejoice. The world does not have that. It's scrambling for that. It's looking for that. And as soon as something, affliction comes against them or something they don't like, they don't know where to turn. Turn to friends, and they turn to psychologists, and they turn to drugs, and I'm not mocking it. They don't know. They're turning and scrambling for other things. But we see it, Old Testament, New Testament, all through the Bible. We know it in our own lives. I'm going to turn to God. Not only am I going to trust Him, I'm going to rejoice. Because He's, he's working something. There's a big reward coming. You know? Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried... He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. James 1, 12. Amen? Amen. Y'all stand with me tonight. We're just going to stop with that thought. We've got two verses, but that's what the Lord wanted for tonight. And y'all, I'm going to ask, I really believe it's important for our church. You know, we think last Wednesday we talked about it a little bit at the altar and then Sunday as well. I think it's very important what happens at this point of the service. Whether I'm preaching or, 
or Albert or William or somebody else is preaching, when we get to this point, this to me is the time where we take what we've heard and our hearts were saying, yay and amen. I agree with that, Lord. I agree with that, Lord. And we're saying now, Lord, do this in me, whatever it is. I'm going through a trial right now. God, help me. I'm about, I figure I'm about to go through a trial. Help me. Use this time to take this, this sermon and the message and let it become part of you. Commit it to God. Do this in me. I don't care if you come back here, if you go in there. Somehow in this little area, I know God wants to stir us up and physically even get us out of our comfort zone. And kneel on the pillow by your chair. Go put your hands on somebody's shoulder. I don't feel like it. I don't know what I'm doing. But yet God says, I want you to go pray for Jenny. And you go put your hands on her shoulder and begin to pray that we would stir ourselves up. And y'all, we need to be a praying church like this. And we need to be a worshiping church that's it gets out of our comfort zone and, and begins to cry out. Jesus cried out with strong cryings to the Lord in the garden. Okay? And we see it with other people. David cried, cried unto the Lord. And the Lord, Lord heard my cry. I know there's probably times he just meditated on God quietly and there's nothing wrong with that either. But there are times that he cried out to God. And I'm not the example for that that I should be but I know that this of the Lord that we stir ourselves up to cry out to God and, and lay hold on the Lord and that become more habit to us and that we be a passionate people not governed by the, the flesh but passionate in our crying out to God so much so that we're not concerned about do I sound silly do I look funny crying like a girl, you know, what would people think about me? Forget all that and call out to God. That's a humility, y'all, and a brokenness before the Lord. It's of great value in God's sight. And so, Father, we just come before you right now. And Lord, we're thankful that when we go through trials, and we do, that we're not just going through trials by ourselves. We're not going through trials pointlessly with no purpose at all, just for the sheer agony of the trial. But we're not to despise the chastening of the Lord. And you said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You said, blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord shall give to all them that love him. Well, Lord, we love you tonight. We love you because you first loved us, but we do love you, Lord. And there's something coming on the backside of our trials. This whole life is a trial to a, to a great extent. Whole life on earth as a believer is a trial. This doesn't mean it's miserable, but it's a whole thing is a testing. And God, we know behind it all, it's working an eternal weight of glory, an exceeding eternal weight of glory. Help us to see that by faith. Every person from the youngest here tonight to the oldest, help us to see what, what you have in store. Eye has not seen, neither ear heard, neither, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But your spirit has revealed them to us. And by the Holy Ghost and by faith in God and your promises, let us see. 
what you have for us. Let us see that in our darkness, you're still with us. You haven't abandoned us. You're the one that's holding us. Let us see the fourth man in our fire, like the three Hebrews. Let us know that there's a, an intimacy and a fellowship with you in trials that can be found nowhere else. And it's real and it's worth it. Help us not get hardened by our trials and bitter, but have be broken and have humble, soft hearts of flesh and allow you to make us the men and women of God you've called us to be. We want our faith to come through as gold, pure gold, tried in the furnace of affliction. We love you tonight, God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.